If you would turn to Luke chapter 2, we're going to continue looking at the characters of the Christmas story today, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. So if you've got a Bible, take that out, or there should be one in the chair, or you can use your phones or your iPads or your Kindles, whatever you've got. Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 8. We've already sung about these characters. Now we're going to hear how Luke describes them from Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David... A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, a company, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace on those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left, they... And gone back into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Probably the emotion that I associate most closely with Christmas is joy. I love this time of year. I love all the stuff that comes with it. I love the music. I love getting together with people. I love all the treats. I love getting gifts. My wife is giving me 12 socks of Christmas, and today was day three. <laughs> I love getting socks. I love the holidays. These things make me happy. One of the kind of, I guess, guilty pleasures of my holiday season is to watch certain movies, and one of my favorites is Christmas Vacation. We watch that every year a couple times, usually. And uh, there are certain scenes in that that, you know, I know they're coming, and uh, every time I laugh, they just make me giggle. The, one of them is that it's only 18 seconds when he walks out into the hallway and he opens the latch to the ceiling and drops the thing down and it whacks him in the head and knocks him over. I laugh out loud every time that happens. <laughs> Another one of my favorite scenes is the classic lighting scene, you know, where he's out there in front of the house trying to get everything. And I asked, a lot of you are nodding your head, so I thought I would let you have the joy of watching this little clip with me this morning. So let's watch this clip. 250 strands of light, 100 individual bulbs per strand for a grand total of 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights. Hey! 25,000. Well, I hope nobody I know drives by and sees me standing in the yard staring at the house in my pajamas. If they know your dad, they won't think anything of it. Oh. Fire it up, Dad! I dedicate this house to the Griswold family Christmas. Oh. Drum roll, please. Drum roll. Oh, oh, uh.
Okay, I want you to look at that look right there, that look on his face. Okay, my, the question of the sermon today is, what is that look that he has on his face right now? And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking that look on his face is the look of hope and fear at one intersection. That's the look, okay? That's the look of this, I'm looking at my dead stump, and I'm wondering if anything is going to grow out of it this time. That's that look. It's the look of... Uh, the angel has come and promised you that you're going to give birth to a baby and you're just a, little, a young girl and you've never been with a man. That's this look. It's the look of this season of high anticipation and yet we live in a world that can be messy and broken and cold. I was talking with someone just last week and um, this person was uh, kind of on the crabby end of the scale and she said, I know I'm supposed to be joyful this time of year. But I keep looking at the world, and it is such a mess. That's, the, that's that look right there. I know I should be feeling something else, but I'm not feeling what I should be feeling because there's other things going on. There's, there's hopes, and there's fears, and they've come together. And this is kind of the theme that we're building on this Advent season. As we're looking toward Christmas, there's a lot of hope, there's a lot of anticipation, and yet there's still a lot of stuff in our lives. So this morning, the question I want to ask is, can we actually have joy in a world that is still messy? Can we find our way to joy, even though we sometimes still have these struggles? When that intersection of hope and fear comes together, what does that do to our joy? So that's what I want us to try to do by looking at the story of the shepherds from Luke chapter 2. As we look at the story, I want us to try to understand kind of how God was working in them, and maybe that will give us a clue about how God is going to be working in us. Now, when I was a kid, um, on more than one occasion, I got to play the shepherd in the Christmas play. And I remember distinctly getting the kind of gunny sack robe, the really nondescript robes, and the shepherd's hooks. And our role was usually to, like, herd the preschool kids who would usually have these little sheep hats on, and we had to try to keep them corralled while the program was going on. And I remember, on more than one occasion, poking a fellow shepherd with my staff and kind of goofing off a little bit and having to be reprimanded that, you know, we had to be herded as the shepherds as well. But as soon as the program was over, we all would scramble to the back and we would get our little brown bags with peanuts and oranges and candy bars. Some of you had the same tradition. And as soon as we got cut loose from the stage, then the goofing off really escalated and we started, uh, you know, there wasn't lightsabers then, but it was definitely the, using the, the staff as a weapon. When I think of shepherds in Scripture, my view started with that picture. And so I picture the shepherds as this bunch of goof, goofballs, brothers who are all out there having a good time. And I actually kind of pictured it like uh, mom had to get them out of the house for a while. So she sent them out back with the sheep and they would just kind of goof off until she rang the dinner bell and then they would come back home. That's how I pictured shepherds. Well, now my understanding of the shepherds has evolved a little bit since then. Now I understand that shepherds were a very tough bunch of guys who were put into situations that were sometimes quite perilous. And um, they were carrying out a very important job for the community, but they were often disrespected and disregarded by most people in the community. They were really looked down upon. Now the shepherds were thought often to be like uh, criminals and thieves, like they would take the lambs that were born and they would use them for their own good or they would steal from other people. They'd take the sheep onto somebody's property where they weren't supposed to go and they would, 
They, they were just thought to be real disreputable. I found a couple of different people who wrote about this. One of them was a historian, and this is the kind of um, thing he did, used to describe the shepherds. He said this. Um, let me find where I'm at on my notes here. He said, shepherds, here's the description. The dryness of the ground made it necessary for flocks of sheep and cattle to move about during the rainless summer and to stay for months at a time in isolated places. So these flocks would be herded off into a place where no one else, far from everyone's home. Herding sheep was an independent and responsible job. Indeed, in view of the threats of wild beasts and robbers, it could even be very dangerous. So this was a very responsible job, and yet it had quite a bit of danger. They had such a bad reputation that rabbis actually wrote about the shepherds, and they would warn people about them. They would say that they were so dishonest that you should never buy wool or milk or uh, lamb from a shepherd because it was probably stolen. This is the viewpoint that they had. One rabbi taught that they were, uh, there is no occupation more disreputable than being a shepherd. This was around the time of the first century. This wasn't always the case, but in this time period, they were reviled and disgusted. They, they, people just um, didn't want to be with them. So they spent their time, as Luke describes it, abiding in the field. They were out by themselves, away from everybody else keeping watch and keeping guard from trouble, thieves or wild beasts or wild animals. It's a safe assumption to think that these shepherds were not living maybe their dream life. It was not necessarily their ideal to be out here in this isolation. So I think it's another safe assumption to, feel, to, to think that the shepherds were looking for joy. They're trying to figure out another plan, plan B maybe. I came across this interesting diary of a shepherd this week. I don't know if this applies specifically to the shepherds in Luke, but it gave me a great image of maybe the mentality that a shepherd might have. Night was coming on and it was cold, and I was terribly hungry. I'd finished all the bread I had in my sack and my gut still ached for more. Then I noticed my friend, a shepherd like me, about to throw away a crust he didn't want. So I said, throw that crust to me, friend. And he did throw it, but it landed between us in the mud where the sheep had mucked it up. But I grabbed it anyway and stuffed it, mud and all, into my mouth. And as I was eating it, I suddenly saw myself. It was as if I was not only a man eating, but a man watching the man eating. And I thought, this is who I am. I am a man who eats muddy bread. And I thought, this bread is very good. And I thought, ah, the mud is very good too. So I opened my man's, muddy man's mouth full of bread and I yelled to my friends, by God, this is good. Can you picture a shepherd sitting out in the fields, watching over the flocks at night with his mouth stuffed full of muddy bread, going, ah, this is good. And I read that and I thought, you know, I'm maybe not that different. Maybe you aren't either. Because I find that I often go out looking for stuff that I can get to bring me joy. And I want to stuff myself full. Maybe it's not bread. Maybe it's clothes or gadgets or money or recognition or achievement or booze or porn. Maybe I'm stuffing my life full of these things and I yell to everyone who will listen to me, hey, this is good. 
I don't think we're that different from the shepherds. Instead of abiding in the fields, we are abiding in the mall with the crowd, hoping that we can come across some deal or some bargain or some special thing. Salad shooters or chia pets or iPhones. I don't know what it is for you. What do you stuff into your mouth to give you joy? I was at the mall yesterday to watch, and it was quite interesting. It was packed, and there were some bizarre shops at the mall this time of year. I've got to tell you that. And they were all crowded, and people had packages. They were all buying their stuff. And I had this picture in my mind of stuffing our mouths with muddy bread and wondering which of these things are they buying in order to try to find joy or hoping that they'll bring a little joy to somebody else. And do they have their expectation kind of messed up like Clark thinking this is going to be the perfect family Christmas if I just get that thing? I don't think we're that different from the shepherds in that respect. Everybody needs joy. I think we all do. I think it's basically part of what it means for us to be people. We want to have joy. We want to rejoice and celebrate. So everyone's looking for joy. And God responds to that by offering us good news. This is how the shepherds heard it. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. Scruffy, stinking shepherds looked down on by everybody and despised and tired and hungry and looking for joy. What was good news for them? God came with his angelic announcement delivering this message. And I was thinking about the words from Isaiah 35 just a moment ago as Kristen was reading it and thinking about these shepherds would have known what it was like to be out in the wilderness, in the dry wilderness, barren places. They would have known what it was like to be afraid. And this, this, song, this prophecy of Isaiah says, you know, there's going to be a day when the, the wilderness is going to bloom and those dry places are going to bring forth life. There's going to be a day when there will be no fear. Those things you're afraid of will be no more. He's offering this good news to these shepherds. And at the bottom of all this good news is the one who will come to make that happen. He says, it's going to be a savior. And the announcement to the shepherds was, it's going to be a savior for you. That's good news. If you're the kind of person who thinks, I can't be saved. I'm too far gone. I'm too much on the fringes of things. I'm too outcast. I don't belong. This good news... Today, in the city of David, a Savior has been forward for you. He is Christ the Lord. And I don't know, there's lots of speculation about why do the shepherds get to hear this news first? You know, it's kind of an interesting selection for the place where you make this grand announcement to these isolated shepherds who are all alone outside the city of Bethlehem. I don't know exactly why that is. Maybe it's because, you know, there's been a lot of shepherds in the story of God's plan for salvation, Right? The, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were shepherds. They, were, they had a great reputation in that day. King David, the greatest king they ever knew as a people, he was a shepherd. And uh, he was said to be one of the best kings. This promise says we're going to be a king who will be like David, only the difference will be his reign will last forever. Maybe it's because um, for generations sheep have been offered up as 
offerings to God. Maybe that's why they get to hear. And it's likely that these shepherds outside Bethlehem, some of their lambs were probably going to be used for that sacrifice. This was something that the people did in order to see the salvation that God offered to them. Maybe because the Savior who was coming would say he was a shepherd. Maybe that's why the shepherds got to hear it first. Listen to these words from John chapter 10. These are words that come from Jesus. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come and go and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand does not, he does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired man and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. I wonder if that's part of the reason why the shepherds got to hear the news first. They're hearing this good news of a shepherd who has come to protect the sheep, to save the sheep, to take all those sins and pay the price. And these shepherds no doubt had a lot of sins to be paid for, and maybe they recognized in this good shepherd the one who would pay for all their sins. That's good news, isn't it? This is the good news that God offers to them and to us. Good news of great joy. Today in the city of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Now it seems to me, I did another little side research project on some ways to find joy, and I came across some very interesting suggestions. It seems like this is a really popular topic, so there's a lot of stuff out there. And um, it seemed like most of these suggestions seem a little bit backwards to me. They seem like this. They seem like cheering for the touchdown before the team scores. That's how these calls for joy. Like, let's get together and let's work up a little joy in us and we'll see if we can just be more joyful. And here's some of the titles of some of the articles I read. Seven Ways to Create More Joy. Three Secrets to Experience More Joy. How to Ignite Joy. And my favorite was this. Thirteen Ways to Feel Joy that Cost Nothing. There were some pretty good suggestions in there. But these all felt like they were chiding me. Like telling me, work up some joy, get happy, be joyful. And I don't know how it works for you, but there's one way to certainly kill joy in me. That's to tell me I have to be joyful. I respond to something that's good news. When I hear it, I become joyful. It seems like that's the proper order for this. We hear the good news and then we go, wow, that's great. When the team scores the touchdown or scores the shot at the last second, we go, yeah, we are excited. We have joy in response to the thing that just happened, don't we? This is how joy works. Joy is really the byproduct of good news. So I go to the doctor and the doctor says, there's a shadow on your x-ray. And then later he confirms, it's just a shadow. And that's good news. And the byproduct is joy. The doctor says, we tested the tumor that was in you, and it's benign. And that's good news. And that brings joy. Joy is a byproduct of this announcement of good news. This is what happens with the shepherds. I think this is how it works with us. 
the angels come and they say, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. That's good news. And the response is joy. I celebrate. In fact, the shepherds went out and they said, in joy, we have to go see what, they ta- what they're talking about. They made such a great announcement. We got to go find this out for ourselves. And then if you read the rest of the story in the next couple verses, after they see the baby, what's their response? They go out and they tell everyone else about it because they can't help it because they're so overflowing with the good news that brought them joy. Now, when I was a kid, I, I remember marking the beginning of the Christmas season with Christmas specials on TV. And most of you here remember when you could only watch these Christmas specials on TV. This was pre-DVD, pre-on-demand, pre-internet, all that. So you had to actually wait for the one night when they were going to be shown. And the announcement of that night brought some joy. It was like, oh, this is good news. Frosty the Snowman's going to be on again. And the four key ones for me were Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and A Charlie Brown's Christmas. Okay? And some of you may have already known this. It's the 50th anniversary of Charlie Brown's Christmas, which is kind of a remarkable thing when you think about it because that show is depressing. (laughs) It is. I just watched it again the other night on my DVD that I have. And the first line of the thing is something like Charlie Brown saying, oh, I had it here. Let me see if I can find it. Charlie Brown says, I think there must be something wrong with me. That's the first thing he says in this deal. And there's this really like kind of depressing jazzy music playing in the background while he's saying this. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. That's his opening line. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. So Charlie Brown even recognizes he's supposed to feel joy too. And everybody's telling him, Charlie, be joyful. And he doesn't feel it. And then this special kind of breaks all the rules because it slams commercialism and slams consumerism and all that. And um, this pathetic little tree, almost with no needles. And he has to wrap his blanket around it to hold it up when a single ornament makes it go. And... Everybody picks on Charlie Brown throughout the deal, and it's just kind of a, you you kind of wonder how it made it this long. And yet, 50 years later, I look at it and I go, I think this is a masterpiece. I think it's a brilliant storytelling about Christmas. And the reason is this, is because it speaks the truth. And the truth is this. I'm Charlie Brown, and so are you. And I'm Clark Griswold, and so are you. We have these ramped up expectations of what we think are going to bring us joy. And then we go out and we try to stuff it into our mouths. And we yell over and over, this is good, this is good, this is good. And yet there's something depressing because we recognize we're in a world that's still messy. Charlie Brown is honest. It acknowledges that we have hopes and fears and they come together. And in the middle of that, there's one message that can give us hope and love and joy in the midst of it. And it's the message that Linus shares when he goes out onto stage and the spotlight comes on and he just in this very simple voice of a child, fear not, I bring you tidings of great joy. It will be for all people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David 
a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is the message of hope and joy that rescues us at the intersection of hopes and fears. So no matter how bitter cold or dysfunctional or unrealistic your expectations were for Christmas, this is true. And it's true for you and it's true for me. Today is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that announcement is good news of great joy. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and for your spirit who speaks to us through your word. God, I pray that you will continue to mold us and shape us as your people. And uh, we look forward to continuing to celebrate this good news of great joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My name is Lois, and I am a former elder, and I would like you to pray with me this morning. Our dear Heavenly Father, Father of joy, Lord, we come to you mindful of this Christmas season ahead. We thank you so much for bringing your Son to bring that hope into the world that we would have the joy that we need to go on each day. Lord, I am mindful of the many joys that you give us each day, and I would like to say a special thanks, as I'm sure many of us are thankful for the weather, Lord. We just praise you and thank you that it's beautiful, and it's not snow, but that's good, and we're very thankful, and that brings us joy. Father, I pray for our families, families that are estranged, families that need your joy, families that are dealing with health issues, families that are dealing with uncertainty, Lord, we thank you for those family members, and we thank you that this is the time of year when we get together with them. And I just pray, Lord, that you would make that a time of joy and that we would look for the little things of joy with those family members. Lord, I thank you for this church family that brings us joy. Joy to see the people that we love each week and that... We can love you and share and honor you. Lord, I pray that you would restore, restore the joy of our salvation, that we might remember when we come here what you have done for us, and that that would restore our joy. Lord, we especially need joy as we look at our country and our world, and I just pray that you would help us to focus on the small things that we do have that bring us joy. The big picture looks pretty bleak, but we know that you are in charge, and we just ask that you would restore that joy. Lord, I would pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to recognize the joy in our lives. We have joy there. We just need to look for it. We need to see it, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts to see the good things, to see the joy. This morning we come to you mindful and so thankful that you are the author of joy. You are the giver of life. You are the God of our salvation. And for that, we praise you and thank you because you bring us joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 